Well, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership Podcast. Here to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus, no matter where you are and what you're going through. Now today, I'm thrilled to bring you a conversation that I had with TJ Collioso. TJ is part of Jubilee Church in London. He's a regular New Day main stage speaker and a musician. He's also the son of Kemi Collioso, the incredible Kemi, who's appeared on this podcast twice before. Now, TJ and I connected recently when we did a seminar together for boys at New Day. And in speaking with him ahead of this seminar, we discovered that we share a passion and a desire to try and encourage young men to be all that God has called them to be wherever we find them. Um, So it's this that we spent a lot of our time focusing on together. If you're a young guy, if you've just joined us, if this is your first episode you're listening to, we're so glad that you found us and we're praying that you discover just how valuable you are to God and how satisfying and rich his purposes are for your life. Thanks for being here. I hope you enjoy the episode. And before we get to that conversation, however, Uh, TJ and I couldn't start without first acknowledging the amazing achievement that he, along with his brother Femi and fellow band members, recently enjoyed with their jazz band, The Ezra Collective, having just been crowned the winners of the Mercury Music Award for 2023. An incredible achievement. Congratulations to all of you. This is officially the first time I've spoken to a global superstar musician. Uh, What a treat it was. TJ, you're a legend, um, and everyone else, I hope you enjoy his wisdom and our conversation together. God bless. Yes, yes. Thank you, Jess. <laughs> we should probably, first of all, start start by um, getting the, the global musical superstar in the room out of the way. Um, you are this 2023 winner of the Mercury Music Award um, with Ezra Collective, Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's a freshly, freshly crowned winners of the Mercury Prize. It's pretty surreal, if I'm being honest. Um, still coming down from what was Cloud Nine and figuring out exactly what that means to be the winner of that. And it started to mean more as the days have gone on, if I'm being honest. Yeah. It's just like it's it's quite an a unique award. You know what I mean? It's like Best album of the year, Britain and Ireland, genres don't matter. Shoot. And that's it. And so being one of 12 nominees was already like pretty mental. And then you win it and that's pretty mental. And then you're like, a jazz act has never won it before. And I think back to like 2003, I think it was when Dizzy Rascal won for his album Boy in the Corner. And I remember being, I mean, I must have been like young, you know, seven or eight years old at the time when he won. But we grew up on grime music and him winning reached our age group as like a rah, like Dizzy Rascal just won an award that is typically not won by people like us. And then since then, rappers winning it has been kind of normal, you know? Or like black people from you know, you know, from London winning it has been kind of the majority of what's happened. And now I'm thinking 20, 20 years later, we get opportunity to represent jazz music. What does it look like in twenty years? Is it an, is will it be the norm for instrumental jazz music to to be in you know to win these awards and be nominated for this and get this kind of recognition? So it's it's meant a lot more as the days have gone on. Yeah, yeah, particularly like you said, you feel like you're you're representing on behalf of a genre of music that isn't normally considered in the mainstream. 
um, with awards like this. So you, does that come with a, a degree of pressure? Do you then wake up the next day and think your phone's just off the hook, people calling all the time, interviews, you know? Has it felt like a complete step change from the day before to the day after? Yeah, I, I think there was definitely some changes. Like, you know, on the night when you win and then you come out and it's like instantly you've got BBC News there, you're live line with all these cameras. It's the first time I've ever had like full on like cats flashing relentlessly in my face like for the whole evening it felt like um and then you get a lot of messages and stuff like that and look I'm pretty much the worst person with my phone in the world and so that was like I, I generally I, I took my time with that and like got back to people I've still got some Instagram messages I think to get back to people on and that, so that didn't really change too much um yeah and then but I, I, I feel like the massive change is all pressure i don't really feel it as much um i think a lot has to do with the fact that the pathway in jazz has had to be carved out um for the last 10 years or so you know what was the pinnacle of our genre was in you know a certain place 10 years ago and very quickly we decided let's keep pushing boundaries and seeing where we go and so now we're at a place where another boundary has been stretched something else has been pushed there's a lot of us in the scene that are doing the same thing in different areas and i think as long as we continue with our values and with our core identity and praying and giving it all to god then there's no pressure that's needed you know we just keep going and if god opens another door we walk we walk through it mm, yeah i mean obviously in your in uh, in femi's kind of acceptance speech the first thing he said wasn't that first of all thank god and the room erupted i mean i guess your family and friends from the church may have been in the room um, but why don't you just i want me start by just hearing how you came to know jesus for yourself in the first place um yeah it's a it's a great story i guess because it 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 it's with me finding jesus um and that's always a good story so yeah i i my parents are Sophie and Kemi Colioso, um, they came over to this country um, in their early days, I think it was, I'm, from, I'm Nigerian, um, they came over to this country, they settled in South London, um, uh, my brother was born, they moved to North London uh, to be a part of a church plant at Jubilee Church, which is part of the New Frontiers network under Terry Virgo. And um, it was a it was a man named Colin Potter that planted Jubilee Church, and they were they were one of a few families that was part of the church. Um, and so every, I grew up in church. I always joke, I was, I was born on a Sunday and the next week I was in church. Yeah, born on a Sunday. Yeah, so it's, I, I've been in church and church life for my whole life. Um, I became Christian when I was very young. I think I was five. And it's one of my earliest clear memories. Um, we were at Stonely, which was an event years ago. It was where all the New Frontiers churches would, come together and it was like the kind of christian camp vibe um and i just remember on this particular evening it was towards the end of the week and we 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 had a we had good fun you know we had these little kids groups called force with force for jesus five alive sunshine sixes i remember all of them we i was in five alive i think and you know we were just having a good week arts and crafts and that kind of stuff then we get to the evening meeting and um just before we went in me and my brother were standing there and we saw this boy throwing up right but he was like violently vomiting man it was like nothing i'd ever seen before um now it was probably just 
he probably had a dodgy burger or something like that. But at, at the time, as a kid, I remember me and my brother being completely silent because it's the first time we'd ever really considered death before. Very strange. But I remember vividly that think, thinking, that guy's going to die. You know, that kind of a, like, I, he, he, pretty sure he didn't die. But it just became really visceral to me. And um, in the meeting, I think my dad realized pretty quickly that we were a little bit um different to how we we normally are. We weren't as chatty and boisterous. And um, all I remember is my dad standing with us and we, we spoke about it. And he essentially said, you don't have to be scared when you're in Christ. And just preached a really simple gospel message to us and invited us to become Christians. And we both did on the same night. That's only when we were that young. And I remember it. And that's the day I committed my life to Jesus. That, however, posed some issues. Um, so, yeah, became a Christian that young. I was baptized not long after, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues from a really early age. Again, I remember that being prayed for by my dad again. Um, this is a running theme in my life. My dad prays for me. And we'll get onto the importance of that later. But um, yeah, he he prayed for me. I was filled with the spirit. I started speaking in this language I'd never heard before. Um, you know, all of this kinds of stuff happened. Then I kind of get to the age of about 11, 12. I go to secondary school and I faced opposition for the first time. I'd grown up around Christians. I went to a Church of England primary school, which was majority Ghanaian and Nigerian kids. And we all grew up in church. There was no opposition. Got to secondary school and I was in a RE class. And I remember the class was literally 30 against one. It was, the teacher was included in that 30. Big up Mr. Rowland. Um, they, they like Christianity. And it was like, I got in this position where I was having to contend for the faith. Um, and I was contending from a place of duty, I think. Um, and culturally contending. But that went on for a couple of years until one day I was like, do I really believe all of this? Because I became a Christian so young. How could I have known, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I went and I got pretty deep into the apologetics side of things. Um, that's how my brain's always been wired. I, I, I lean on logical thinking quite a lot. And I wanted to know answers. And so 14, 15 is when I started diving in. Every new day I would go to the tough question seminars. I would learn from people like Adrian Holloway and John Lennox and people like that who's preached and spoken on these things. But then I'd go and learn the arguments from the other side. Um, I would argue with a lot of people at school. Um, I would win most of them because I'd done more research than the people. And it got to one stage where I got to the, the, the deep question of, did Jesus rise from the dead? Because when you take that away from Christianity, it's done. It's the only religion where you take out one single event and the whole thing crumbles. So I was like, well, if I want to know if this is all true, that's all I have to know. And I did a big old deep dive into the resurrection and the scriptures cannot be broken. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm fully convinced Jesus rose from the dead. And then the question became, well, I need to get to know this Jesus for myself. 
And that began a journey that I'm continuing on right now where I'm just getting to know more and more about who Jesus is, what his heart is. And there's been ups and downs. University was always, is always a testing time for us, us Christians, us, us, us churchy people. But, you know, we've been, I've been through all of that. And just bit by bit, I'm just starting to recognize the heart of our Savior more and more and more. And it's just, it draws you in. You want to know him more, love him more. You learn how much he loves you and then makes you love him more and you just it, and it's this cycle of just getting as close to jesus feet you can and that's kind of where that's the phase i've been in for the last few years i'd say you know so that's that's my story i was a bit long-winded but that is that's the shortest i could give it to you and what does it look like for you to help how do you cultivate and look after a love for jesus i guess you know with with winning the Mercury Award, you've been catapulted into a position of um, some re renown. People will know you, Ezra Collective will be in the spotlight, but, and, and that experience of 30 against one in the classroom may now feel like several million against a few. Um, you know, the, the, the world, the media love to put Christians particularly under a spotlight of scrutiny. Um, how are some of the ways that you maintain a vibrant relationship with the Lord such that you're right, you feel comfortable you feel comfortable and com confident in the environment that you don't strike me as someone who's easily intimidated either by pressure or stardom or anything like that you just seem quite matter of fact down to earth feet on the ground um yeah what's some of your thoughts on that yeah um I've learned a lot about this sort of recent you know the the pandemic was a real catalyst for a lot of things in I'm guessing most Christians lives most people's lives um a lot of things needed to die a lot of things needed to to wake up and one of the things definitely is the secret place getting more and more familiar with the secret place and that sounds a little bit mystical I'm not trying to be but I spent most of my life being in corporate Christian settings and hoping that that flowed into my secret place. I hoped that I would get into an amazing worship time and be inspired to worship, get into hear an amazing pre pre. Um, that's how my life was. And then pandemic hits and suddenly you're forced into this secret place. <laughs> you're forced away from the corporate, let's say. And I realized that I wasn't as familiar with the secret place as I thought I was. And I started to really prioritize what Jesus said to prioritize. Go in your room, shut your door and speak to your heavenly father who hears the secret. I'm like, cool. I need to start doing that more and more and more. And suddenly there's been this balance shift where from corporate trying to flow into my secret place, I'm now like, can that secret place flow into the corporate? And as that's been growing, so has the quote unquote uh, success or fame of, of the band been growing and the profile of it. But yeah, I'm, I'm, if you're growing closer to the floor, closer to Jesus' feet, I think you're in a good place to, uh, to not lose your way when you grow in the other areas of life. There's this confidence, which is like, I'm not going to uh, be fearful of those different situations and whatever, because yes, I'm hum I, I want to be as humble as possible in those situations, but I know who I've been sent by. And I'm trying to live in that tension more and more. I'm trying to live in that tension. And all of it comes from that secret place with Jesus. You know, so um, I am nothing without you, but because I have you, I can do 
all these things. You see what I'm saying? I think that's where we have to live. Like, yes, on my own, I am weak. But in him, that weakness is turned into strength. For when I am weak, I am strong. That's what Paul says, right? So it has to be, a, for me, I'm like, it has to be a journey. We have to be strong. We have to be the lions, but also recognize, oof, gentle and lowly. Breathe you, man. That's so good. Um, well, we, we wanted to talk a bit about um, God's call on young men and the need of young men in our society to hear and understand the, who the Father in heaven is and what that means for them, the value of uh, God places on young men and the challenges facing young men in our society. And, we, you know, touching on it just there, I mentioned Jesus is a good shepherd. And one of the things that we've talked about before is I'm aware that young men, it seems, are drawn to what we might call different father figures, media personalities, um, self-help speakers, you know, the rise and influence of people like um, Jordan Peterson, Andrew Tate, not that they're the same, but it's it's men, they're, they're, they're known as men who influence other men, who speak to other men and gather a crowd from among majority men. And that we were reflected before on well, what, what is it in the heart of men that seems to be drawn to and want to listen to and be led by other men. Um, but then the observation that not all men are good shepherds <laughs> not all shepherds are created equal that there is there are wolves in shepherds clothing there are people who have influence you know we again the the, the big example would be 1930s germany um a fatherless generation after world war one found a father in adolf hitler who gave them you know or promised them the salvation that they longed for as young men. So, that, I mean, there's, a, there's just a lot of trying to throw out there, just thoughts about young men. Where do you want to start with um, your observation of the, maybe the state of masculinity even, or the state, the, the challenge facing young men in our society? Um, yeah, it's huge. <laughs> I think it's a bit of a taboo subject at the moment. Um, men men and suffering and all of that kind of stuff. I think there's a lot of factors as to why masculinity is in a weird place. I can just talk from uh, my experience. Um, I, I, when I was at university, it became very popular amongst my friends and demographic to say, men are trash. That was like the said phrase. Everyone said it, everyone, it was weird, man. It was like everywhere. Men are trash, men are trash, men are trash. And what they were getting at is men seem to be able to get away with a lot without many consequences, uh, especially relationally. But then you look at um, you look at jobs, you look at uh, how men, especially white men, were kind of uh, proponent privilege and stuff like that. And there were some kind of cold, hard facts there um, about the whole thing. But it turned... Ironically, the phrase toxic masculinity started to become a toxic thing. Um, I started to see men get kind of style for stuff that was relative formal, I would have said. Any ruthlessness, any strength that was shown from men was seen as a threat and denounced to the point where if you were a man and you were trying to be safe, you would just quench your own and kind of dampen down 
any kind of ruthlessness in you for fear of getting completely demolished, basically. And again, my generation is the generation where being cancelled is really a threat and one of the biggest threats to people. Um, so what I've started, so that was kind of my, when I was at university, stuff like that, people kind of got on with it. What I've seen now is in the younger generation, the effects of that, which is a lot of really, really quiet men. Really quiet men. I mean, like, it's scary. I've seen, I was at a, a, in a context recently with some of our youth, and it was crazy just to see the guys, it's, this is with some of the older ones, the year 13s, the girls were talking, they were chatting, they were happy, they were everything. The guys were just mumbling to each other. And you would ask them a question and there was this kind of just almost like this, I can't, what's the word? It's like, it's like their spirits had been dampened. It's like they'd been caged in a way. And I think what happened is there was so much toxicity when it came to masculinity that there needed to be some sort of reformation in how men were especially i'm talking i'm going back 30 40 years 50 years you know things needed to start changing like feminist movements were were right when it's like okay women should be able to vote yeah enough that's that's a that's a unanimously good thing and there's been so much change that has been good for women but i think a bit of the baby has been thrown out with the bathwater here and a bit of the ruthlessness and the leadership that i believe is placed inside of men has been has been quieted and I'm starting to see the effects of that in the younger guys. Now, because of that, I think there's this polarity that's been created where you've got some young guys that are defiant against that, against the weird little silence, and you've got the other side of men who are quite happy to just adhere to what the norms are for masculinity. And the ones that are quiet and happy to adhere, they'll be quiet and they'll mumble. The ones that aren't happy, they're going to look for someone who is going to wake up this aggressive go-getter uh, ruthlessness on the inside of men. When they type in online or when they go on YouTube and they go to find someone that's doing that, uh, it's going to be some of the people that you mentioned earlier. Uh, I like fighting. I like I like UFC. I don't like fighting random people in the street. Let me just put it out there. But I like, I like, <laughs> I like boxing. I like mixed martial arts. I like all of that kind of stuff you hear the way that some of the people talk on those you know the fire world champion right now called Sean Strickland it is a is a strange guy but he's a manly guy you've got someone like Andrew Tate who's a manly guy they'll, they'll call him a man's man you know then you've got some of the in, more intellectuals have guys like you said Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson and people like this we're going to adhere to these guys and when we listen to what they're saying a lot of it makes sense but then it's the little bits of misogyny, the little bits that are not helpful that, again, rightly so, a lot of people have started to fear. And my question is never, or my, my statement is never, oh man, we should cancel these people. No, I don't think any of these people should be canceled. There just needs to be a better alternative. I believe people should be able to speak their mind. I just believe that there needs to be some better alternatives. If there was a more... If there was a better alternative to Andrew Tate, if there was a better alternative, and I believe the better alternative is Christ, <laughs> if that was shown to people, really shown to people, really put in the young people's face, I don't think we'd have to cancel anyone. Mm, no, it's really good. I know, I mean, 
I spent a few hours kind of trying to do a bit of a dive on listening to and watching, engaging with Andrew Tate stuff, just because I thought it'd be useful from a just a research point of view. Like this man has millions of people interested in what he's saying, and he's hated by millions of people. You think, well, what what's going on there? Why is that? And what was interesting to me is he he does. He seems to be like he said, a man's man. He's espousing essentially classical like virtues from classical antiquity, um, aspects of what classical masculinity was all about. And what I thought was, this is a masculinity before Christ. You know, Christ came along and has so done a, a revolution, a complete flip on what we think of as being a man's man or a good man, that it jars with us now. And yet for the majority of history, the sort of things he was saying, they didn't jar. And we're back, we're now in a society where a lot of men are going, oh, that doesn't jar. That sounds, that really appeals to my fighter instinct. That appeals to my strength. And like you said, we got to, we got to, I mean, the world will do what the world does. We're not, I'm not here to, in one sense, change the world. But we are, we are here to preach the gospel and tell people there's a better man. There's a better now, there's a better alpha out there. There's a better shepherd out there who can teach us yeah. and lead us. 100% like when I say Jesus is the better alternative I mean that and I believe that um I think the problem is most people don't I mean I, the problem is most people don't know Jesus they don't they've never when you ask around an average person in the street who is Jesus I wonder what image comes into their head I I think it's some kind of soft you know a white dude with blue eyes and holding his hands in a weird position and he probably, you know, he wears sandals and he was born in a manger. And yeah, that's that's where, that's where most people are kind of leaving it. But it's like, no, 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 but like, who was Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? Who? What's his heart like? What's his temperament like? What, is, what are his thoughts on things? All of that kind of stuff. People don't have a clue. They don't, they don't re- I don't think people really realise what kind of a man Jesus was. Because when you when you really get into it, and you, when you really read, and you really see, okay, like read the book of John. I love that. It's my favorite book in the Bible, the book of John, because it's a book where you see Jesus having some long conversations with people. He wasn't soft <laughs> in the slightest. And I don't have to try and make things up to, to prove that Jesus was a man. Like, no, no, no. He was, he was incredibly loving. And he did things that were difficult to do. And what I mean by that is he's what would have been easy for him was to do a few miracles, stand on a hill, get people to come to him and just essentially make himself look like God, really, really make himself look like God in front of him. But he chose the humility side of things. He chose to help the one person here and the one person there and just actually be close to people he chose to be close to sinners he chose to be close to those who are marginalized he went after the marginalized i'm saying that that is much more difficult and takes a lot more courage than it does to stand there and look like a superstar and i think what happens with most people is they don't know that side of jesus they don't know what he could have been like versus what he actually was like and then i think people don't actually stop and think to what is it what is the more difficult thing what's the more quote-unquote manly thing to do like is it I, I, I think i said it in the seminar i knew they but i think one of the most manly things you can do is adopt a child foster a kid 
no no one would think of that as a manly thing to do but what are you talking about there you're seeing a young boy that's their parents have abandoned them and you said i'll step in the gap for them i'll, I'll step in the gap for them that is much harder than anything that any of these other dudes are talking about doing to prove yourself as a man that's harder than going and becoming rich that's harder than having a flashy watch that's harder than learning how to box and I would say that's more that's more of a leader. That's a that's someone that's looking to make a difference in the world. Yeah, people don't. But that's all that. That's what Jesus called us to do. He called us to do stuff like that. And I'm not just making it up. That's that's in the book of James. The true, authentic religion is going and visiting the orphans and widows in their affliction. People don't, people don't see that as Jesus' teachings. And they again, so I think there's two problems. They don't see that as what Jesus was teaching, and then they don't see that as the the manly route to take. I hope well, I've talked. I've talked around a little bit. I hope that makes a little bit of sense. No, yeah, yeah, and I think we forget as well. Like Jesus, Jesus went up to working class, tough fishermen, and said, "Drop everything and follow me." You know, and they did. Like he was a man who who garnered the respect of other men, and that again, it's easy to forget that, overlook that. He wasn't inviting. Um, men to come and be emotionally hardcore and just you know be navel gazers look into themselves have spiritual experiences he was essentially calling them let's come on let's go and overthrow the romans let's go and turn the world upside down let's go and fight and that's what grabbed them they thought i want to be part of a revolution but then jesus said now we're going to fight against an enemy that's much bigger than you could ever imagine it's not the romans think bigger <laughs> think bigger than the romans who had been oppressing us for decades right think bigger is sin in you and the enemy in the world, the, the corruption of sin, is, you know, your flesh, let's fight that. You think, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, a bit hard. that's a bit big, that's a bit hard. But people don't think, I mean, just that image of Jesus calling other men to follow him who would drop things. He was a leader that other men wanted to be around. 100%. I think, yeah, it's just, it's just, just I, I'm getting more and more obsessed with Jesus, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think it's a good thing and just more and more obsessed with his character and there's something he there was something worth fighting for he said he set the example it's like i'm going to fight for you guys as a picture of what i want you to be and he said you know if you if 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 people are going to know that you're my disciples if you're for people to know you're my disciples, you will love people in the way that I have loved you. Just think of that statement. I'm saying that Jesus is the ultimate man. He said, for other people to recognize who you guys are and to know that you are one of my disciples, that you follow me, the way that you will show that is that you love other people in the way that I have loved you. Then you ask yourself, well, how did he love us? Just before he said that in the book of John, he got on his hands and his knees and he washed their feet. It is much more difficult to wash people's feet than to have your feet washed. It's much more difficult. You know, what else did he do? He, he went out and he, he went to find those people and then called them to himself. It, it's much harder to go and find the last people than just to wait for people who have the right accolades to join your team and join your clique and wait for the people who are deserving of your service no 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 go and find the people who are absolutely not deserving of it and what else did he do well he gave his life for them wow that's a challenge you see what i'm saying it's like seeing jesus from that light 
see, people see Jesus' love as like a, a kind of like, almost like a soft, as just like, oh yeah, he just, he loves us, oh, how he loves us. And it's like, no, 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 his love is like relentless. And he's called us to go and try and love people in the same way. That, that to me is a bigger challenge as a man. It's a much bigger challenge as a man because it calls into question my ego. It calls into question my, my generosity and what I really value in life. All of that is so much more difficult than what these other teachers and quote unquote prophets, modern day masculine prophets are really calling us to do. All of that other stuff is easy, man. It's so much easier than what Jesus has called us to do. Yeah, yeah. To reply, uh, to return an insult with forgiveness and with love is a lot harder than to reply with an insult. You know, to, or just to put someone down on Twitter, to rant about something. You know, you, you can get up at 4.35 and do, do press-ups and do a workout and get your body big. That's impressive self-discipline. But like the Apostle Paul says, self-discipline's of some benefit. Like, but not a lot. Like, with, in godliness with contentment, there's great gain. I've blended some scriptures. Like, that's... That's where the real benefit is. They're actually running the race of purity and of self-denial and of other service, of living for other people and not and being unoffendable in the way that you reply to people. That requires a much deeper strength. And I love in what you, you said at New Day in the seminar that we did, that uh, you, you talked about fighting against two things and fighting for two things. So maybe you can unpick some of those things because, you I mean, for you at least you identify a big part of your masculinity has to do with this instinct to fight, fight for something. You know, we just point to testosterone as, and the popularity of things like UFC, kickboxing, boxing is predominantly among men. Um, there's an age-old, history-old instinct within men to fight for things. Um, but you said that actually as a Christian, we should, we should turn that instinct not to fighting other people, but to fight against a couple of things and fight for things. So why don't you talk us through what a couple of what are the things that you think young men need to fight against? Yeah. Um, so I, I, there's two things that I pulled out to fight against, and like I said, that we're, we're I believe men are built to fight, <laughs> but fight for the right things. And, and and the first thing to fight against is sin. I think we have to be more ruthless. There needs to be a ruthless intolerance of sin in men that would call themselves Christians. Um, and the, the, the verse I pulled out for that was Romans 8, 13. For you live, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's a responsibility on our part there. Now it's by the spirit, but you're putting something to death, right? There's something that's being put to death. And there's like a fight in the spirit. Like again, drawing from Ephesians, we don't fight against flesh and blood. But there is a fight that we need to have. A lot of this, what I'm talking about is prayer. Um, I, was, I was just having a meet with some of my guys. And I was just saying, have we forgotten how to pray? Have we forgotten how to travail? And, and again, it's, it's getting super popular at the moment, the kind of contemplative and uh, reflective type of prayer, which is good. And these are good things. But there's another side of prayer, which is ferocious, and you're fighting and you're going after it. Yes, the battle belongs to the Lord, but it's the it's it's the way Jesus beat temptation against Satan. It was it wasn't. I don't see. I don't read that portion of scripture and I think, wow, Jesus was on his last legs. I read that portion of scripture and I think, wow, Jesus was as strong as he's ever been. Forty days after fasting, he was ready. He was at it, and it's like. 
I believe we need to fight against that, sorry, against sin in that way, using the tools that we've given, praying. I've alluded to it already, the secret place. We need to fight for that. You know, I've heard someone say that if you don't feel like praying, pray anyway, because something's trying to stop you from praying. So you need to fight against it. I've absolutely butchered that quote, but it's something along those lines. And I think there needs to be a bit more of that in men going forward. You don't you don't feel like waking up early in the morning. Fight against your flesh and wake up early. <laughs> you know, um, it's John. I'm going to quote Ed Welch from a John Piper sermon, but called Addictions. It, he says this. He says there is a mean streak to authentic self control. Self control is not for the timid. When we want to grow in it, not only do we nurture an exuberance for Jesus Christ, we also demand of ourselves a hatred for sin. The only possible attitude towards out-of-control desire is a declaration of all-out war. There is something about war that sharpens the senses. You hear a twig snap or a rustling of leaves and you are in attack mode. Something coughs and you are ready to pull the trigger. Even after days of little or no sleep, war keeps us vigilant. Yeah. <laughs> and this is at the danger of sounding a little bit legalistic i'm not, not trying to sound that because all of this is coming from a love of christ but we need to stop the whole oh, oh it's just what it's just me it's just what i'm like nah you're a son of god you need to fight for some stuff so fighting against sin is is, is the first thing i kind of looked at you know and the other thing is fighting against apathy but yeah do you, do you want to jump in there or well i was just going to say i think it comes back in part to what we were talking about the the answer to um, over-realized eschatology that insists on everything being perfect now isn't no eschatology, but a healthy biblical understanding of, like you said, I may live in, live in a body that is corrupted by the flesh, and I may have to put that to death, but in Christ, I am more than a conqueror. It's laying hold of that that says, I am called to be a fighter, not a victim, not a victim of my body, not a victim of my habits, or I'm just like this because of this or because of that. We're actually, like, I love that quote, we are called to be in war mode as soldiers, but we just have to get clear about what we're fighting. You know, John Mark Comer's book, Live No Lies, is very good. He says, ours is a war, make no mistake about it, but it's a war not against people, but against lies, the lies of the enemy lies of our flesh that would tell us where satisfaction is found outside of Christ. We have to fight that. That's why I think that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk about the next one then, fighting against apathy. Yeah, fighting against apathy. Oh, man, this is, this is big. There's a lot of, and I kind of alluded to it with the last point, but there's a lot of like, there's a lot of sitting down when we should be standing up. Let me put it like that. There's a lot of, and I think this comes back to a tolerance for, for things as well. I think there's a tolerance for injustice. Um, I think there's this kind of like someone else will get onto it. The anointed ones and the more gifted ones will do it type thing that has crept into men, especially in the church. And um, Luke 24, the road to Emmaus, is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. That Jesus is there. Well, they don't know it's Jesus, but he appears next to these two disciples and they're all upset because Jesus has just been crucified. And they're, they're saying to him, Have you not, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's just happened? Like this man who we believed was, was the Messiah, he's died and now essentially all our hope is gone. And then Jesus bears witness about himself. And and as he's bearing witness about himself, the, the, the men are kind of like astounded. And 
they they beckon him. They say, please come and stay with us in this room. And then he comes and stays with them. He says, he says it's too late. Can you come and stay with us? Jesus comes, he stays with them. And he breaks the bread. And he, as he broke the bread, their eyes were open and they saw it was Jesus and Jesus was gone. And those two men, I'll read it from verse 30, Luke 24 says, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he began to give it to them. And their eyes were opened and he recognized it was him. And he disappeared from their sight. And here it is. They asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while we, he, he talked to us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? Verse 33, it says, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and they told those who were assembled to go. Like, the thing that always gets to me is, I, where I think masculinity is right now is, we would say, wow, our hearts were set on fire. Oof. I'm sure someone will take that on. <laughs> oh, wow, our hearts were set on fire. I hope the preacher, you know, speaks into this next week. You know, it, it, our hearts get set on fire and then we allow the fire to turn into like a, a, a little smolder. Uh, what they did was they got up immediately and they returned to Jerusalem. They fought against what I would say is the battle of apathy. They fought against it. They had just made, remember, they told Jesus to come and stay with them because the hour was too late. They said it was inconvenient for Jesus to carry on his journey, come and stay with us. And then they got up in the middle of that inconvenience and went back to Jerusalem. Like, I think the fight against apathy looks like not taking the easy road every time. It looks like not just taking what's given, but actually getting up and fighting for what you know God has called you to do. Getting up and fighting for what you know God has promised um, in your life. And this is a dangerous path. It was probably dangerous for them to go back to Jerusalem at that hour with it being dark on the roads and stuff like that. Yeah, but they, they did it. They got up and they went back. And I think that's what the fight against apathy can look like for us. This is a, the kingdom of God. This is a, you know, this is a, a matter of eternal life and death. We need to fight against this thing that tells us, like you said, the lie that tells us, uh, we can get on all of that kind of stuff tomorrow. Uh, where where my brain jumps to as well with some of this, uh, to draw a link here is, you know, you mentioned, you made oh, a couple of thoughts, I guess. You mentioned earlier talking about the what you see as being and the impact of the men are trash thing, being that a quieter generation of men who just mumble. They don't have confidence. They don't pro project themselves into the world because they don't want to be called toxic. So they just shrink back. They become apathetic. They just let other people do it, right? So you've got that happening, the kind of the, the apathy within men, the timidity. And if they don't also fight sin, then I think what you see, what you get is what we're seeing, which is an epidemic of pornography in our culture where young men are thinking, Rather than doing the hard work of having to be a, a kind of man that a woman's going to respect and honor, rather than being a, a, doing the hard work of committing to a woman, marrying a woman, you know, being faithful, and rather than even having to do the hard work of fighting the flesh that wants to sin, I'll just watch porn and I'll just, I'll just become lazy and I'll get what feels like sexual gratification, what feels like, you know, just satisfaction in life. And I feel like a somebody because I get to see the image of a naked woman and that makes me feel powerful and important. But I haven't got to fight sin. I haven't got to fight apathy. I can just, you know, stay at home forever and never, never grow up um, and distort how I treat and think about sisters at the same time. 
Um, that's where I see like part of part of the way this can cash out among young men. If you're not fighting sin and you're not fighting apathy, oh, guess what? You just get whatever you want served to you on a plate and it's going to destroy you and your relationships in the process. 100%. I, that was me. That's part of my testimony. You know, you've heard that before from me where I was caught up in pornography and there was this weird apathy that was part of me where it's just like oh like I said oh this is just my cross to bear no, no. like the, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you TJ you have like you have the means and the tools in Christ to overcome this thing is lust going to be a battle for a long time in your life yes it will be but the uh, well I better pick up like in Nehemiah, I will have one hand on the on, on the hammer and one hand on my sword, you know, and we're ready to fight. And we're ready to fight against this thing. And it's I, just because of the nature of my testimony, I speak to so many young men, so many young men who have been dealing with this or are dealing with this. I mean, let me just give you a, a straight up. Since maybe about, I don't know, in the last 10 years of speaking to young men about this issue, I have only met one who was not actively watching pornography. One young person between, you know, say 13 and 18. Only one in that whole time. That's devastating, right? But the thing that got to me almost more than that was that people just saw it as, you know what, when I get married, that will be the end of it. When I get married, that will be the, because I've tried to fight this thing and I can't fight it. And it is what it is just keep living in this weird place where I love it, but I also feel ashamed. And when I get married, hopefully it will go away. We need to help our young boys because the fight, come on. <laughs> and also just, I mean, yeah, to, to make them aware, like you said, you are going to have to fight this for, the, for most of your life, if not all your life. It isn't going to go away when you get married and you must keep fighting it because the stakes are too high. You think it's just a private matter between you and your laptop, you know, or you and the internet. It's really not. And in a society like this, I'd argue it's getting harder and harder um, for various reasons in our culture. Um, we're just such a, a visual, promiscuous culture. So that doesn't mean we have to, as young men, go, oh, let's lower our standards then. And okay, like you can, you can just find an acceptable place for porn in your life. No, no, fight this forever and find men around you to help you fight this, you're gonna to need to be in a cohort of other guys that strengthen you, because this is really hard for the majority of men, not all, but the majority of men, this is, a, this is one of the hardest parts of, um, I would say one of the hardest parts of our masculinity, trying to live pure in this area. 100%, and I, I, I'm glad that I had the right people around me um, when I was going through this and trying to fight against this, this called quite a stronghold. Um, but I'm so glad that I fought before getting married. And I, again, I'm hoping that some young guys are listening to this. Learn to fight before the stakes increase. Because <laughs> um, now I've got a wife and it's not just me, you know? I always, always, I always say to some of the young guys that I talk to, I say to them, you know, Rihanna is still going to look like Rihanna after you get married. Beyonce is still going to look like Beyonce after you get married. Everyone that you thought was good looking before you got married is still going to look exactly the same after you get married. So now we have to have this question of what do we do 
with the thought that enters your mind of that's an attractive person. Because right now you're in a place where you allow that thought to turn into lust. How do you get from that place? How can you fight that now? Because one day you're going to try and fight it and it's going to be a losing battle because the way that you've related, the way that you've taken that thought every single time has turned into lust. Take that thought, lust, lust, lust every single time. You've acted on it in that direction. Learn to fight it on the other direction, like early, really early. Because man, there's, I know so many people that have gotten married and been surprised that their eyes aren't just for their wife. And it's like, well, yeah, and it turns out the more you feed an appetite, the bigger it gets. You know, you don't wake up obese. <laughs> you, you, have a, you have some food and think, I'll have more, I'll have more. And then your stomach increases. You think, now I need more. Oh, now my stomach's increased. I need more. And it's the same with any appetite, including this appetite. So we have to, for the sake of our marriages, for the sake of our wives, but more than that, for the sake of our churches. You know, Paul says younger yes. men relate to, relate to younger women relate to younger women as sisters in absolute purity like these are sisters that we're sitting around that we're part of in community with they do not need men they get that enough in the world men objectifying them in the church it ought to be different in the church should really be the world should be able to look at the church and say goodness me how did you guys do it gosh how did you fix the problems of race how did you fix the problems of objectification of, of women how did you fix the masculinity problem how did you fix the equality problem how did you guys fix it and we'll be able to just say one name and they you see what i'm saying that's what the church has to be it has to be that and it's just so upsetting that when you walk into church sometimes and i'm talking church globally you, you walk in and it's like oh i feel judged like how <laughs> how how is that how is that possibly what church has become a place where you feel judged a place where it's just oh that this one felt like that one and all the white people go to that church all the black people go to that church and extra all the women are still objectified and vilified for not doing certain things and it's like there's no excuse the bible's there there's no excuse <laughs> no 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 i mean i it was quite it was a weird way it was encouraging to me recently because this has been part of my testimony and journey and lived experience if you like but i was at so i'm so i'm 40 right so young men listening this doesn't go away when you get 40 i'm 40 i'm on the school run and one of my friends who's not in the church points to a woman on the playground and says oh man she's got such a nice bum and just starts objectifying her now this woman that he's talking about is in my church and oh. it was the weirdest thing in the world, but in a, in a way encouraging because every part of me was just like, that's my sister. <laughs> that's not okay. That's not okay. That's my sister. But I think that's how it ought to be within the church, that we do find ourselves having that reaction. Like, that's my sister. We don't, you don't talk like that about my sister. That's not okay. Because arguably every, every woman is in the, in the body. And if we're not, I mean, you mentioned racism, if we tolerate racism in the church, we, we think, well, that's not appropriate either. So we have to fight. It is a fighting man's religion, as C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis says, Christianity is a fighting religion and God insists and insists very loudly that we put the world right. You know, it's been turned the wrong way up. Um, anyway, right, so those are the two things we've got to fight against. What about the things we've got to fight for as men? Yes. Oh, mate, this is where I get excited because... We have to fight for people. We have to fight for people. Like one of those verses that I've already quoted it today, but 
visiting the orphans and the widows in their affliction. This comes at the end of a chapter where we're talking about not just being hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And it's in a book where James is talking about faith. And okay, you want to show you want to just be someone that is faith by way of lip service. I'm going to be someone that works. As in my faith is going to turn into works, basically. You know, it turns into fruit, it turns into something. What is that fruit? It is the visiting of those who are marginalized. That's one thing. Did Jesus even say you will always have the poor with you? <laughs> like that there's there's poor and marginalized in every society, everywhere, every, every single in every single moment of history, there has been poor and marginalized. There has never just been one class and everyone's rich. Nope. There's always people that are going through something. What if the fighting spirit that was inside men was put to good use and not fighting each other, not in road rage, but going out and fighting for people, fighting for those people that can't fight for themselves. And I alluded to it earlier, but like, what would it look like if every man saw saw the young people around them as their responsibility? You know, I, 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 we live in communities, right? What if we started to see it as fighting for our community, fighting for the future? Like I said about adopting children, what about opening our homes to some of these people? Like, it sounds so trivial, but I feel like some men need to go out buy a PS5 or whatever and invite a couple of young guys. I mean, make sure you speak to their parents and all of that, but just, just, don't get in trouble, but just bring them round to your house. But but as in like, just look after them. Yes, it, what I'm talking about is discipleship. You know, for some people like me, for example, I'm a, I, I like photography. I do it in my spare time. That stuff is rubbish if I don't use it to fight for people. Be like, you know what, come around, you, you come, you can use my camera, I'll show you how to edit, I'll show you how to do this and that and this and that. Fight for the young people. You're good at football, you maybe play for a, a professional team or whatever, get some tickets, give it to the young people, mentor them, be around them. We have to fight for these people who can't fight for themselves. Um, I, I guess it's talking about, it goes all the way to prayer. How, how, how are we praying for our cities? Are we praying for our communities? Are we praying for, you know... Our, why is it that, like at the food bank, for example, now we run, we run a food bank here in Enfield, and I wonder if this is the case everywhere. The food bank is run majority, vast majority by women. Why is that? I'll be interested to see the numbers of volunteers in these kinds of community things. I wonder how many are men and how many are women. Apart from prison ministry, I, wonder, I would be surprised if the rest aren't dominated by women. What happens if men start fighting as well? We had we had this realization. And I don't mean to shame anyone here, but it was just it was startling to me. Okay, so I'm in a smallish church. We have we worked out we have 40 boys between the age of six and uh, 18 on our books. 40 boys in the church. We have 60 men. 60 men. Of those 60 men, four are engaged in under 18s ministry. And of those four, two of them are elders already. So there's two men in our church who are regularly engaged with trying to pass on the faith to our under 18s. Oh, broke my heart. <laughs> and made me oh pretty angry. <laughs> but <it's> just, yeah. <laughs> like, but that's, that's, I don't think that's un uncommon. I don't think we would be uncommon in that. Like you said about Food Bank, where are the men who are fighting for other people, fighting to pass on the gospel to young men, fighting for these boys and their faith? Again, I have this thing like, 
All week, parents are doing their best to raise their sons and daughters. They come to the church, the people of God, they should be saying to their brothers and sisters, it's over to you. I'm doing my best. You should, I need your help. Serve me, teach them, love them. Come on, old, older men, missus, do that. We fight for people. Yes, 100% fight for people. Um, there's so much I can say there, but like, oh my gosh, that, that one literally gets to me. It gets to me because men don't go to church. Man. All right. You know, that's a, that's a different, we need to do a part two of this because there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of me, there's, there's a lot, but um, we need to fight for people. And I guess the second thing that I had there to fight for was to fight for the faith. Um, this one's scary, man. But Jude, verse three, it says, contend for the faith. Uh, Jesus was a master at this. Because he never went looking for a scrap, he never went looking for an argument. But he also was, he also didn't allow himself to be drawn into uh, needless, meaningless, uh, and manipulative spats. There's a lot of that around right now. A lot of conversations that people will try and have with Christians in order to try and trip them up, in order to try and make us say something that they don't approve of so that they can use their big bad tool of cancelling us. Um, Jesus was a master at evading those or identifying those kinds of people and questions and, and telling them essentially where to go. And what I mean by that is, it's if you really want to know, come. If you really want to know, read about it. If you really want to know, like, Jesus was good at that. But then when people were actually asking, when people were actually seeking, when people's hearts were actually like, what do you guys actually believe? How do you know that when Nicodemus came and stood before Jesus and was just like, how is it that I could be, I have to be born again? Jesus gave him an answer, man. Jesus, when the woman at the well, and I know I'm quoting from John a lot right now, but it's, like I said, it's my favorite book. When the woman at the well is there and she's just like, what do you, are you talking? Like she basically confronted Jesus. I said, you said that, you know, what are you, this is Jacob's well. Are you saying that you're greater than Jacob and this and that? And Jesus said, oh, don't worry, the time is coming. And that time is now here. <laughs> Wait, it won't matter where you worship. It's just spirit and truth. Jesus had these answers ready for people. Think about who he was speaking to when he's given these answers. He was so, he, he was so open and so loving, but at the same time, he was so direct He's like, he is the son of man. He is God. You knew exactly where you stood when it came to, yes, he would speak sometimes in these parables, but it's so that the people who would really want to know would go deeper in. I think what, one of the things you notice so much is that he was so, he was courageous enough that he was willing to speak the truth, even when it was going to get him in a lot of trouble. I just, you know, I think there's another quote from John, before Abraham was, I am. He knew the kind of storm that was going to come from him saying that. But he thought, I'm speaking the truth. You need to hear this. He didn't sugarcoat. He's like, before Abraham was, I am. You, you need to hear this. Um, like, oh, and that's offensive because it cuts it cuts people to the quick. Um, yeah, and he's not defending. It's a Spurgeon quote someone gave me recently. That you don't need to defend the truth. You just need to let it out. A lion, a lion can take care of itself. Just let the lion out the cage. Don't defend the Bible. Just, just this is what Jesus said. Anyway, Spurgeon says it better. <laughs> yeah, but no, no, honestly, and just like I said at the top, like uh, the scriptures cannot be broken. Trust in God. Like if people, like I said, tell them to go and find 
find out, did Jesus live? And if he lived, did he die? And if he died, what happened to the body? Just ask people that question. Just tell people, I'm not going to give you all the, just go and figure that one out yourself and see what they come back with. Because I am such a believer. The Bible stands up. It is the word of God. It is breathed out by God. It is truth. Study your Bible so you know that you can direct people to the Bible. See what I'm saying? Like I say to the Bible, people need to meet Jesus. And I guess this is the the this is what I'm trying to wrap everything in. Masculinity, uh, race, gender equality, all of that kind of stuff. I genuinely believe that meeting Jesus, Jesus himself, no added extras, him is the antidote to all of that. He is the savior of the world. And I still believe that. And I'll always believe that. Mm. Oh man, love that. I mean, fight against sin, fight against apathy, fight for people and fight for the faith. Speak the truth. It, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. But as, as someone, as Glenn Scrivener, someone on this podcast said to me a few months ago, he said, you know, the one thing we need to do with the gospel is believe it. Not share it, believe it. Believe it for yourself first, men, man. Apply it to yourself first, man. <laughs> Make sure Jesus is your treasure and then you'll overflow and tell others that he's, he needs to be their treasure as well. Uh, we will have to come back and do a part two because, as you can, you know, yeah. as you said, there's a lot in you, and I feel like we're just starting to scratch the surface of something that's really, really important. Um, well, your mum came on the podcast twice, so maybe you'll have to as well. And before long, we'll have your brother and your dad, and we'll yeah, do the whole Collioso yeah. clan. All the Colliosos, yeah. <laughs> oh, TJ, thank you so much for your time today, man. It's been such a, a privilege to speak to you. Not only a Mercury Music Award winner, but a wonderful brother in Christ who loves Jesus and really wants to fight for being a positive voice among men. So God bless you and all that you're doing. Just as we just as we close, I guess, is there anything on your heart or mind that you want to leave us with? Wow. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you, Jess. Like, um, such for the invite. I just I love and and your heart for this topic. Um, I really want to thank you for that, and I really mean it because um, it's a scary one to run into. Um, but you're running, you're running, and 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 um, headlong into uh, a wall. <laughs> oh man, yes. <laughs> but as long as God is with us, we're good, man. And 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 I feel that it's it's not just inspirational on a like mental level; it's inspirational deep down, um, on a heart level. So 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 thank you for that. And I guess just yeah, just to end with with what I said at the beginning: get as close to Jesus as you can. Like that's what's on my heart right now. For everyone like i can't i have no other message than that all my sermons end with that these days just get as close to jesus as you can and life changes not just your life the lives of people around you as well so yeah amazing what a great place to leave it get close to Jesus. Life changes when you're with him. Young men listening to this, your life is full of purpose. God has called you for such a time as this. Following Jesus and being close to him, learning from him is the most satisfying 
life enriching thing you can do. He is the ultimate man to learn from. His example of masculinity is the thing that transformed the world upside down. People may talk about and history books may record, maps may reflect some of the victories of military leaders and masculine heroes in the past. But Jesus's fame outstrips all of those men. The life he lived and the legacy he's left, the worship that he's had directed his way, the way that he's transformed the world. And he's here, he's alive by his spirit and he's with you and he loves you and he has a plan for you. Let's be those who fight sin. Let's be those who fight apathy. Let's be those who fight for people and fight for the gospel. Now you can connect more with TJ, find out about the band, the Ezra Collective, by going to their website, information about him and their band and things that we talked about today will be in the description to today's episode. For now, I hope that God has spoken to you and I look forward to bringing you more conversations about the Christian life and leadership. God bless you.